Good afternoon and welcome to the All Souls Forum. Today's presentation is entitled, Christian Nationalists Aren't Stopping at Abortion. It's presented by Brian Silva of Americans United for Separation of Church and State and was recorded at the All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church of Kansas City, Missouri on November 5, 2023. Good morning. I'm Jane Gilbreth, a longtime member of this church, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the All Souls Forum. The forum's mission is to afford a platform for the discussion of significant issues, especially those which involve ethical values in the contemporary world. So I'm asking you to silence your cell phones, um, any other electronic device you might have attached to you. And um, please note that this presentation is being recorded and will be played on KKFI Community Radio at a later date. Um, our speaker this morning is Brian Silva. And as you can see, his topic is White Christian Nationalists Are Not Stopping. At abortion. Brian? Thank you. Thank you very much. First of all, you're very welcome for the extra hour that you got to sleep this morning. I had nothing to do with it, but I appreciate it. Um, my name is Brian Silva. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm the vice president of outreach and engagement at Americans United for Separation of Church and State, and I am thrilled to be back here in Kansas City. Um, I first want to thank all of the co-sponsors of uh, this week of events. Um, as some of you heard, we had a, a photojournalism exhibit that was lost in the mail, but it is going to be coming back. But all of these organizations um, are helping to do the programs this week and uh, in January when it's back. And especially an extra special thanks to All Souls for hosting everything. A little bit of information about Americans United. Um, we were founded in 1947 by a coalition of religious and civic leaders who wanted to give people something to say yes to. They wanted to protect the separation between religion and government in the wake of a U.S. Supreme Court ruling, Emerson versus Board of Education, that had some really great language about the separation of church and state, but reached the wrong outcomes and actually opened the door to indirect funding of public schools. Um, I'd also like to give a shout out to your sister city here in Missouri, St. Louis, who actually is our oldest chapter. They are established one year after we started and just celebrated their 75th anniversary last week. Since then, for 76 years, AU has been working to ensure church-state separation remains the shield that protects religious freedom for all of us. Every day, we bring together people of all religions and none to fight in the courts, in Congress, across state legislatures, and in the public square for everyone's freedom to live as themselves and believe as they choose. Summed up nicely by our tagline, freedom without favor and equality without exception. This is grounded in the inclusive vision of religious freedom described in our Constitution, protected by the shield of church-state separation. So when we talk about religious freedom, we have a three-part test. By keeping government out of religion, it allows you the freedom to believe as you choose. And by keeping religion out of government, no one is forced to suffer harm because of any one specific religious belief. So religious freedom is the right to believe as you choose, religious or not, the right to practice those beliefs, 
but it is not the right to have the practice of those beliefs cause harm to others. Some examples of how we've been able to do this successfully. In the Catholic Church, you're not allowed to divorce without an annulment under limited circumstances. Jehovah's Witnesses don't allow the celebration of many holidays like Halloween. Many Orthodox Jews are forbidden from driving, riding in cars, using the telephone, cooking, or turning on or off electronic devices on the Sabbath. Most Hindus are not allowed to eat meat. And church-state separation is the shield that protects all of those practices without imposing them on others who don't share the same beliefs. So what is white Christian nationalism? Well, first, why do we say white Christian? Now, I'm Italian, and I currently live in New York City, so I like to use the Little Italy analogy. Not all Italians live there, and not everyone who lives there is Italian, but we still call it that because it overwhelmingly correctly describes it. And white Christian nationalism is the same thing. Not everyone in the movement is Christian. Not everyone in the movement is white. But it is the overwhelming description. It is a political religion, and it gets its namesake from the debunked idea that America was founded as a Christian nation, that we've strayed from that, and we need to return to our Christian roots. And of course, when they say that, we know they don't even mean all Christians but instead the right kind of conservative extremist Christian. But America never was, nor could be, a Christian nation, because the moment it became one, it would cease to be America. The goal of white Christian nationalism is to rewrite or redefine the Constitution so that it creates two classes of people, the right kind of conservative Christian and everyone else. Conservative, white, heteronormative Christian men will become the favored in-group that the law protects, but does not bind. The chosen few are protected by the law, but not bound. All the rest are bound, but not protected. This makes it a threat to everyone else. Everyone in this room, and probably every supporter of your groups, all of us are in danger. And it's a fundamental threat to our democracy because white Christian nationalist end goal is incompatible with democracy. American democracy centers around freedom without favor and equality without exception. White Christian nationalists are bent on inequality, favoritism, exclusion, and their own privilege. They use the language of return, of getting back to our godly roots, of making America great again, to justify their hateful and evil policies. If you remember back to June 1st, 2020, President Trump had peaceful protesters gassed, beaten, and brutalized with rubber bullets so that he could walk to a church and pose with a Bible. The point was to show that Trump and this nation are churched, that we're Bible-believing and beating that we are a Christian nation and everyone who disagrees should be beaten. Conservative white Christian American status as the dominant group is now threatened. It has been for some time. They're losing the quote-unquote culture wars, which is just a silly phrase to mask attacks on human rights. They're losing their privilege and power and the defense which they believe they are due. And when the dominant group in society feels that status is threatened, it reacts or overreacts. 
by seeking to retain that status. This is why they're turning to Christian nationalism, to the violent insurrection we saw on January 6th. They are raging against the dying of their privilege. That's the battle we find ourselves in right now, that you all find yourselves in. America is in a desperate fight against white Christian nationalism. And Americans United for Separation of Church and State, with the help of you and our partners, is leading the way. So let's bring it a little closer to home. Make no mistake, Missouri's abortion ban is a direct violation of the religious freedom of the overwhelming majority of people whose religious and non-religious principles do not believe that life begins at conception and or that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Life begins at conception. Psalms 119 says, your hands made me and formed me. Being from the biblical side of it, I've always believed that life does occur at a point of conception. As a Catholic, I do believe life begins at conception. That is built into our legislative findings currently in law. Someone had mentioned yesterday that uh, this is unconstitutional separation of church and state. Well, the fact of the matter is, I know of no greater way of affirming the natural rights of man than to declare that they are a gift from our creator. God doesn't give us a choice in this area. He is the creator of life. And I, being made in his image and likeness, don't get to choose to take that away, no matter how that child came to be. And what makes you valuable is that you equally share the image of our creator. You are his work of art. To me, life begins at conception. My God doesn't give that option. You have inherent dignity protected by the Constitution and inherent dignity provided by God. I rise to offer an amendment ending in .18H. It has been distributed. I move for its adoption. The only question I have is a rhetorical one, and that is how many of our constituents agree with the statement that God is the author of human life? That statement itself is in violation of the separation of church and state. It's, a, it's an anti-constitutional statement in and of itself, and I ask the body to oppose the amendment. Not very subtle. Missouri legislators literally wrote into the abortion ban that Almighty God is the author of life. During the debate, those same legislators repeatedly said the quiet part out loud, and you just heard them. As a Catholic, I do believe life begins at conception, and God doesn't give us a choice in this area. Or being from the biblical side, I've always believed that life does occur at the point of conception. Religious extremists and their lawmaker allies are trying to force all of us to live by their narrow beliefs around abortion. But there's good news. We are fighting back. On January 19th of this year, a date nestled between the observance of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, National Religious Freedom Day, and what should have been the 50th anniversary celebration of the Roe v. Wade decision, we stood beneath the soaring ceiling of the Christ Church Cathedral in downtown St. Louis and announced at a press conference our lawsuit with the National Women's Law Center to challenge Missouri's abortion ban as a violation of the state constitution's church-state separation protections. Fourteen brave plaintiffs from seven different religious denominations stood front and center. They are Christian, Jewish, and Unitarian. They are Black and white, 
They are LGBTQ and straight. Some had experienced abortions and others had not. And they came from all parts of this great state. Those clergy explained that they were there not in spite of their faith, but because of it. And because of their steadfast belief in church-state separation. And then we marched hand in hand from the cathedral to the courthouse. It was so cold. Banding together to insist on a positive, love-filled, inclusive, and hopeful vision for Missouri. And the principle that undergirds that vision is church-state separation. Today, we are challenging Missouri's abortion ban. Because we know that America needs a national recommitment to church-state separation. Let's start right here with the You cannot impose your speech on us or use your speech as narrative. The abortion is health care. We are united to protect the freedom of religion of all people. Our freedom to milk out our faith or protect no faith at all is an inalienable right. So what makes this lawsuit unique? Unlike other lawsuits, we're not seeking a religious exemption for certain religious denominations from the abortion ban. We're seeking to overturn the entire ban for everyone, no matter what you believe, because it's a violation of church-state separation. The state tried but failed to get our lawsuit thrown out over the summer, and now they are trying again. And lawyers from Americans United and the National Women's Law Center are going back to court in St. Louis on November 16th to explain to the judge what the state gets wrong about our lawsuit and why we should be allowed to proceed with that case. I look forward to keeping folks updated. So abortion is not the end game. So we know what white Christian nationalism is its goals and its tactics, and why it's a threat, especially to abortion rights and beyond. But what must be glaringly obvious is that in order for their movement to succeed in returning us to that imaginary Christian nation, is it's not just abortion where they must impose their one narrow religious belief on all of us. It's controlling the books we can read. It's controlling who we can love and marry and who can start a family. It's controlling who and how we can worship. It's controlling where and what we are taught, especially about race. It's controlling how we can express and define our gender. It's controlling science and data and facts. It's about controlling who can access what types of public spaces, who can access healthcare and what type, who can access work and what they can do, who can access government services. And we have seen the real harm white Christian nationalists can have in those areas when they succeed. After 15 years, I was fired from my position as a guidance counselor at a high school simply because of my sexual orientation. I was bullied for opposing a Ten Commandments display in my public high school. 
my case of unlawful termination from a church in writing proves that churches can hide behind the law in order to discriminate based on race. I have been discriminated against in many workplaces for being transgender. I was humiliated and kicked out of a public school assembly for choosing to quietly recite a Hebrew prayer instead of the state-mandated Christian prayer. At my public school district, principals and teachers would encourage some students to bully marginalized students in the name of Jesus. I was fired from my job as teacher and director of student life for organizing an anti-racism assembly at the Christian school I taught at for 14 years. Every single one of those attacks on every single one of those issues is an attempt to impose one narrow religious doctrine on all of us in violation of our constitutional protection of church-state separation. Religious extremists and their lawmaker allies are trying to force us to all live by their narrow beliefs. Church-state separation shields our shared laws from the influence of any one religion preventing lawmakers from abusing their power by enshrining their narrow set of religious beliefs in the law. Church-state separation is the constitutional tool written and baked into our nation's founding specifically to protect and shield our democracy and its citizens and prevent the danger and bloodshed that had ravaged the nations of Europe at the time of our founding. It is a tool, like one of the legs of the stool, that holds up and keeps our democracy functioning. It's the shield that protects all of these things. Raise your hand if you care about equality for LGBTQ people and racial and religious minorities. Then you care about keeping religion out of government. Shout out, I do, if you care about quality public education and public libraries that are open and uncensored. And protecting inclusive religious freedom for all is important to you. Clap if you would defend access to abortion, a thriving democracy, and equal access to health care, government services, and employment. Then you are already working to defend church-state separation. You are already part of the national movement to recommit to church-state separation. These are the issues and values white Christian nationalists fight against. Christian nationalist belief and identity run counter to the ideas on which this nation was founded. They are, in fact, un-American. And they're also pretty unpopular. They oppose marriage equality, which 71% of Americans support. They want to outlaw abortion, which 85% of Americans think should be legal. They want a nation of Christians just like them. But 73% of Americans are more welcoming of religious pluralism. And they almost certainly would like to ban contraception with like 90% of American support. And those numbers terrify them. They are scared. They are scared because of you. Because the numbers of progressive Christians, religious minorities, and the non-religious are on the rise. Because we elected our first black president and a black female vice president. Because of marriage equality. Because every day we are closer to racial and gender and LGBTQ equality. And when they can't get the numbers, 
They have to manipulate the system. Church-state separation is pro-religion, pro-non-religion, and as a result, pro-religious freedom. It is, in fact, the only guarantee of religious freedom in this country. The right to believe as you choose, the right to practice those beliefs so long as it doesn't cause harm. And that is what brings us and keeps freedom without favor and equality without exception. Now, as I start to wrap up, I don't want to leave everything on a, on a sad, dark note. Because if there's one thing I've learned working in this movement, is that there is hope. There is so much that gives me hope. As you just heard, the numbers are on our side. And if we keep working, those numbers can only grow. Two-thirds of our country support the separation of church and state in our continuous polling. We are connecting the dots in forums like these around the country and online to show folks that they are already a part of this movement because the issues they care about require the protection that the shield of church-state separation and inclusive religious freedom provide. And that's allowing us to activate more people to take action in their communities, in their state houses, and in Congress. We're also bringing people together to connect including next April at our second annual Summit for Religious Freedom, or SURF, spelled S-R-F. And that's held both in Washington, D.C. and virtually. SURF is the hub for our collective fight for religious freedom, church-state separation, and all of those issues that depend on them, like LGBTQ rights, abortion access, protecting public schools, and strengthening our democracy. And it's a big tent welcoming everyone from longtime advocates to those just discovering the issue and its critical roles in protecting our democracy. It's where we come to collaborate to defeat the biggest threats to these values, like white Christian nationalism and other extremists, along with their political allies, who have launched this coordinated campaign to force us to all live by their narrow religious beliefs. SURF is designed for organizational professionals, as well as everyday member activists, grassroots supporters of the cause. We're a home for policy wizards, legal maestros, academic geniuses, organizers, and volunteer masterminds. It's a place for teaching and learning, learning, organizing and advocacy, and bringing our community together for the fight for our lives. And I want to invite each of you to join us in D.C. next April or join us online virtually at thesurf.org. But what gives me the biggest hope? is the young people that we at AU get to work with every day throughout the country. We just launched our fourth uh, youth organizing fellowship, which is 15 young people from across the country who come together for a full year to learn organizing tactics, learn about church-state separation, and go back out into their communities and do advocacy projects. We have the summit that I just mentioned. And every year we have a student contest, this year which we expanded to both high school and college, where students get to submit essays or videos about why church separation matters to them. I'd like to share with you one of the winners from this year's high school contest. This movement was created by Bobby Henderson, a physics graduate from Oregon State University. He wrote an open letter to the State Board of Education, satirically proposing that his belief in a flying spaghetti monster should also be sought as an alternative to intelligent design. The letter still gained popularity in the 
The supports adopted the belief in a high-stage monster as a way to critique the fundamentalism and promote scientific skepticism. By presenting their ideas in a satirical way, well, I know you only got to watch a few seconds of it, but that was created by a high school. That was created by a kid in high school who gets it, who gets how silly it is to provide religious privilege because everybody has a different belief in this country. And whether it's religious or non-religious, the only way that we all live side by side in peace with our neighbors is if everybody's belief system is respected and protected, but not be used as a tool to harm others. So... With that, I want to thank you again so much for having me, and I wanted to uh, open it up for questions. Thank you, Brian, for a dose of hope. You're invited. If you have questions for Brian, um, if you would come and speak at this microphone, remember that you are being re recorded for um, KKFI. And uh, please keep your um, comments to questions rather than statements. Thank you. Uh, first, I want to thank you for a really outstanding and powerful presentation and for coming here to do that. Um, I'd like you to talk a little bit about how things got started when we were first becoming a country. How did... Um, you mentioned some influence from Europe, those things that we didn't want to become. But could you talk about um, what the founders had in mind when they put all this together? Could you do that? Sure, absolutely. So um, I, I first want to acknowledge, of course, that the founding of our country is in and of itself very fraught with, uh, with its uh, history. Um, so I'm just going to focus on the kind of the white European uh, part of that. So um, many people that uh, came to what would eventually be founded as the United States of America were fleeing a Europe where they were themselves religious minorities and being persecuted. Some of them were religious people who were trying to impose their religious beliefs on others, which is part of the reason that they were treated poorly. Um, and uh, and and so when they came over here, um, they were also fleeing a continent that had experienced countless decades of war between people of different religions. And so part of the founding of the country was that this was to be a place where people could come to practice their religion of choice and do so in a protected manner. So you have, you know, Thomas Jefferson writing um, letters to the Danbury Baptist, where he specifically says that um, the, the country is founded uh, as a wall of separation between church and state. Um, you also have, you know, state laws or, or colonial laws being passed to protect, you know, religious freedoms. Um, and one of the brilliant things about the Constitution is it was the first founding document of a country that did not reference God as the creator or the giver of power, but instead referenced, um, you know, the the enlightenment and the logic of, of the people being able to govern themselves based on these shared values. So everything about our country and the way that it was founded, you know, even if the majority of people signing the documents would have potentially identified themselves as Christian was to make sure that it was also a country where people of all religious beliefs and none could come and feel safe and could come and thrive. 
Good morning and thank you. My name is Julia and I have a question. Does AU Americans United in any way have any type of, I would say, theocracy alerts? Since we have so many people right now that are backed um, by dominionists such as Pompeo was an apocalyptic dominionist and a lot of foreign policies were such. And a lot of people are in office are also seven mountain mandate believers, which is why we don't have a lot of climate change because they are dominionist. Can you speak on that and how that is very difficult with those amount of people being backed in political office to do separation of church and state since so many policies are written as you so well demonstrated today and how that plays into that. And thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think one of the most dangerous things about white Christian nationalists and their uh, extremist allies, both political and otherwise, is you know, it's that old saying, if you repeat a lie often enough, people will start believing it. And so when you when you see politicians, and I will just, uh, you know, just to uh, clarify, AU is a is a nonpartisan organization. We work with people on on both sides. We don't endorse political candidates uh, in any way. Um, but when you see politicians saying, you know, like Lauren Boebert, you know, that so-called separation of church and state, or, you know, the church-state separation, those specific words aren't actually written in the Constitution. You know, this this is the lie. It goes along with the rest of the big lie, um, you know, to try to get people to think that, oh, that that was never the case, you know, that we've we've always been this Christian nation, whatever that means, founded on Judeo-Christian values, whatever those are. Um, and so part of part of our work part of all of our work and part of why we do this is to make sure that we remind folks that church state separation is not only a core part of what makes america america but one of the most unique parts about what makes america america you go to other countries like england you're not required to be part of the church of england but there is a state church you go to theocratic countries like um, Iran or other places where everyone is required to be one specific religion. In fact, in some countries to the point where you run afoul of the law if you are not practicing the state-sponsored religion. That's not our country. But that is what white Christian nationalists want. And of course, again, it's not Christian, it's a very specific type of Christian, a Christianity where women should stay in the home, a Christianity where white men hold all the power but are not bound by the laws that they pass. So it's it's very you know specific what it is that what that they're trying to do. So we definitely, through our social media, we have a faith advisory council through our work with um, religious denominations and churches and church leaders. And in fact, even with the, the lawsuit here and our sister lawsuit we just filed in Oklahoma, which is challenging the state's um, attempt to publicly fund the first public funding of a religious school in our country, a Catholic school that has applied for public funds to be a public school where they would teach and openly say they would teach and indoctrinate students to be Catholic, that they would exclude students from this public school if they are LGBTQ, if they are disabled, if they come from families that don't match Catholic values. So, you know, those are some of the things where we're trying to, to raise those things up into the media, into the public consciousness, so people see it and are aware, and also remember and, and ground in that church-state separation is core.
And I think one of the things I hope you know we see here, you know, this this brain map, church-state separation protects everything that we care about. Every single thing that we care about is protected by saying that no one religion is allowed to dictate the laws on all of us. And that is why they are attacking it so hard, is because they know that it is a key pillar to prevent them from their end goals. Hi, and thanks for the presentation. It was really good. Um, I guess I have a question about both the argument you're making in the lawsuit as well as the end game, which is if you succeed in winning, and the proof of it is all these statements of these legislators about their religious beliefs about abortion, won't they just turn around and pass a ban with uh, would not mention any of their religious values and simply be more neutral. And then uh, I guess, doesn't that mean that in addition to supporting this uh, case that you're bringing, that we also support the effort to get it, uh, get an initiative or a constitutional amendment passed through a petition campaign in Missouri? Thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to go with the second question first. Um, so I know that there is an effort here in um, in Missouri to put an initiative on the ballot to protect um, abortion um, access uh, because it hasn't been written yet. You know, it's still in the process. It's not something I can say whether we support or not. What I will say is I think anything that protects people's right to control their bodies, how they choose, should be taken and is something that is good. And if there's multiple places where we get those wins and protections, the courts, the initiative, the legislature, whatever, you know, extra protection is 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 always a good idea. Um, and you're right. I mean, part of what happened here in Missouri is the quiet part was said out loud. And, I, you know, other states have tried to to hide that. But at the end of the day, when you dig into laws like that, even if they're not as explicit as they were here, it's still it's still the layers peel back and you see the the underbelly of their narrow religious view, you know, uh, being imposed on others. You know, if you look at things like, for example, the bans on the ability of, you know, uh, young people, their parents and their doctors to make health decisions around transgender care, you know. Those come from a very narrow religious belief on what gender is and trying to impose that on everyone. Instead of letting parents and their children and their doctors sit down and make the decisions that are best for them, doctors with their medical expertise, parents who are charged with caring and protecting their kids, and kids who at the end of the day know exactly who they are. So, you know, even though like that's been less explicit, we've still been able to peel that back and show that that attack on on transgender people and especially transgender young people is also an extension of this Christian nationalist view, you know, on gender and, you know, shouldn't be allowed. What should be allowed is if those folks decide on their beliefs that they don't want to, they shouldn't have to. And for those that want to because of their beliefs, whether religious or not, they can. And at the end of the day, we also get to, you know, we have science and fact and data that we can go back to and use. And that's something they don't. You don't have to answer this question if you don't want to. Uh, 
I'm, I, I, I presume that uh, the vast majority of these white Christian nationalists are aligned with um, Donald Trump. And can you give some insight into how they can justify their support of somebody like him? Next question. No, I'm just um, you know, I, I again, it's I think that the studies and data have shown that the overwhelming number of people that would identify as Christian nationalists, you know, seem to gravitate towards the, uh, the former president. Um, but I think that what you see and and not just with that, but there is this ends justify the means piece of achieving dominion of achieving control because as we look back you know things like same-sex marriage and abortion and 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 banning books overwhelmingly are not supported by folks here so christian nationalists know they have to use undemocratic techniques they have to use tactics that i think most people who would read the bible would say that doesn't seem very biblical that doesn't seem very treat those how you want to be treated um, you know, or 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 most other religious traditions who kind of fall into that golden rule vein. You know, when you when you read through it, so there is a, a, a this ends justify the means piece, and I think it's important that you ask this question because it's important we say that out loud because it also means that we know that they're that many of them are not interested in playing by the rules; they are interested in getting to the end result where they can change the rules so that the rules no longer are based on things like one person, one vote, or a democracy that's run by the people who are supposed to be also governing it. Yeah, uh, this morning, uh, David Brooks had an article, uh, editorial in the uh, New York Times, noting some of the issues you talked about today, and that he noted that rage uh, is a difficult uh, position to be taking. And we want to, he's recommending that we not exhibit rage or cause rage to occur, but I don't see how, do you see any way to combat this group of people with uh, anything other than rage? I do. I do. I think that, I think that meeting rage with rage fuels the fire. I think there are people in this movement that we will never reach as any extremist political movement will will always be. There will always be people that we can't reach. But there's a lot of people that we can. There's a lot of people that are are teetering on um on this line of of embracing Christian nationalism, uh, whether they know it and would call it that or not. And I think one of the things that we have in our power is not to do the same thing as as they've done which is not to wall ourselves off from the rest of the country and wall ourselves off from our neighbors and the people that we know. When I first came out as as a queer person, um, my, my mother said that she loved me, but she was Catholic and there was just, you know, uh, what is this marriage thing? And I don't believe in it and I don't get it. And it took a decade. But my mother stood by my husband and my side when we got married. In fact, today's our anniversary. Thank you. 
I never gave up on her. I didn't. And I know that's not true for, you know, not everybody can have that story. Not everybody has parents that they they truly can. But we can't give up on on the people in our communities and in our neighborhoods. Because if we do, then the only voice that they are hearing are the voices of this movement. And that movement is trying to bring them into an undemocratic America that will hurt all of us. My name is Jenny Beal. I have a question uh, backed by a statement, I would guess. And the question is, what can we do? And I want to back that up with a little history. And that is, back in the 90s, uh, we held a conference, my church and its founder, Dr. Bob Manili, and Planned Parenthood. And it was called Recognizing the Radical Religious Right. We had no idea what that was. And uh, Dr. Bob brought in a speaker from Boston. I don't remember his name, but he was the kind of guru in this topic. And we thought, well, nobody will come because this is weird. And we had so many people come, we had to close the doors. And People were so curious to get information. I think one of the ways of countering uh, concepts we don't believe in is education. And what can we do as normal citizens beside join organizations that are on your list and be activists? Um, what they encouraged us to do in that conference was be very aware of elections. And I know you're not a political organization, but there are ways that you can make people aware of who are against the principles that you believe in, in, in terms of the um, separation of church and state, for example. So what can we do? Are there lists of companies that support the principles we don't agree with? that we can not use their products. Can you help us in that regard? Yeah. No, thank you for, for the question. So um, I'll talk about a few different things. Um, you saw the list of organizations that are co-sponsoring this and the, the future events in January. Um, if, you are, if you are not on any of their lists, then first of all, join their lists, follow them on social media, and not just AU, you know, All Souls, Planned Parenthood, Abortion Action Missouri, um, you know, Promo, all of, all of these groups. Um, and if you're not donating, and I know money is, it's a very, you know, personal thing, and I'm not, don't give to us, That you don't have to, that's fine. Give to somebody, $5 a month. Honestly, from an organization, I've both run organizations and been a part of, $5 a month makes a big difference. So if, if those, those are the easy, like, first things that you can start doing. The next thing is awareness and education. This is the first step, right? We're all sitting in this room so that we can become more aware of what's going on, because this is a long game that started back in the 60s and 70s, this attempt to create a moral majority, a religious right, uh, you know, uh, a movement to take over part of the political system, um, when they started to see our country changing in a way that didn't match their narrow religious belief and worldview. 
So coming to things like this, bringing people with you to things like this, creating that awareness and education is, is definitely the first step. Because no one's going to take action unless they are aware and know what's, what's going on. Um, being involved in the political process, finding candidates that you believe in, going to forums and asking them questions specifically about church-state separation is, one, it's important and it's helpful for you, but it also gets candidates thinking about the topic and realizing, oh, this is something that I should be aware of, that I should be campaigning on. I didn't know that I cared about church-state separation so much until I started this job. I realized that the decades of work that I had spent to pass marriage equality and protect LGBTQ people without the shield of church-state separation could all go away. All of that work. So that's why I became passionate about this work and, and changed to, to move and, and work at Americans United. So definitely being involved in that political process and finding candidates and voting. There is no unimportant election. And the ones that are the most important, I think, school board elections, because we've seen school boards being taken over by Christian nationalists. And what's the first thing they do? They ban books. They ban the discussion of people that don't look like them in classrooms. They bring in curriculum like Prager University that is you know, based on Christian nationalist values and a retelling of our history that is so far from the truth. So, and school board elections, you know, donating $100 to a school board candidate is like a, 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 a storm of money versus $100 maybe like a national election, you know. So again, nonpartisan here, we, we don't endorse, but those smaller elections as an individual, you can have so much more of an impact than sometimes, you know, the bigger, larger ones, not that they aren't also important. From our YouTube audience, so we have a question about the, the quote of um, In God We Trust on Our Money. Uh, do you know of efforts to essentially get that removed or what action should we be taking on that regard? Yeah, you know, um, so those cases, you know, in, in God We Trust on the, on the money and, you know, One Nation Under God and things like that, you know, those are actually court cases that AU was part of or led litigating um, you know, many, many decades ago. And, and unfortunately, what the courts have decided is that those things are now considered more historical than they are uh, the imposition of a religion. So it's not to say that it's not that we're not monitoring it and, and still trying to do things to, to try to protect the secular nature of our, of our country in a way that allows all religious and non-religious beliefs to flourish. Um, but uh, especially if you think about like the current makeup of the Supreme Court that we have, um, you know, they they just ruled against us in a court case that said that, you know, a public high school football coach can coerce his teammates to come down to the 50-yard line after the game and, and all pray together. You know, um, they just uh, ruled in Carson v. Macon case that the state of Maine has to provide public funds to private religious schools if they're going to provide it to private non-religious schools. So, it's it's not a very friendly court for for some of these. It's another reason why we are doing so much more work in the states. Um, another piece of hope: the Missouri Constitution. Since the 1940s, the state, the Supreme Court has found that this state constitution and many other states provide a greater protection of church-state separation than the federal constitution. 
So there's a lot of great work that we can and are and will continue to do in the states that many of the organizations that are co-sponsoring here are doing in the states. Um, so I don't want to say that it's it's off the table, but it is just a very it's a difficult environment for um, for you know federal litigation when it comes to this topic. Thank you for being here. Uh, when elected representatives take office, they make certain oaths. Among those are to, uh, certainly for state positions, to support the state and the federal constitution. The federal constitution says, thou shalt not impose involuntary servitude, slavery, except in cases of conviction for crimes. Uh, seems to me the lawsuit you're talking about that was filed in St. Louis dealing only with separation of church and state could have been strengthened if you added uh, something asking the supporters of uh, the anti-abortion laws to tell us what crime pregnant women have been convicted of. Because that was a requirement for imposing involuntary servitude, which is mandatory pregnancy. I I will say that that's I, I don't I'm not a lawyer. I'm one of the few in, uh, at our organization, so I I don't I mean I I don't know how that would uh, impact one way or the other. I would I wish I had one of my legal colleagues here because they could probably answer that much better than I could. Um, but I do know that that both the National Women's Law Center and Americans United, as well as the local council that we have here in the state that work together to file this lawsuit, I know they spent, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours researching what the best arguments and strongest arguments. And it didn't mean that there weren't other arguments that could also be made, but just trying to, you know, what's the best mix of the best things that we could. And so the current lawsuit that we have now is 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 what they ended up going with. I will just end on, um, as I mentioned, the the photojournalism exhibit that was supposed to be here was was lost. Um, I will say it has been found, um, but it was yes. <laughs> Um, but it was damaged, so that's partially um, partially timing and, and that. So it's in the process of being repaired. And we are very excited and very appreciative to Jane and Reverend Aaron and everyone at All Souls that they will be having us back. So um, we will be having that exhibit here from, we're planning to start around the 7th. That's Sunday the 7th with an opening reception uh, through the 14th, maybe starting a few days earlier. And I will be back and I look forward to seeing all of your wonderful faces uh, here. And for those of you joining us online that are in the area, I hope you can come and visit it as well. And next Sunday's forum is how area power utilities are stalling on climate change progress with Ty Gorman. That concludes this week's presentation. And now, a preview of next week's presentation, How Area Power Utilities Are Stalling on Climate Change. Morning, everyone. Thank you so much for having us today. 
Uh, thank you, Craig, for that introduction as well. Ty and I are here today to talk to you a little bit about the recent report Sierra Club came out with called the Dirty Truth Report. Before I get started, I'll share a little bit about Sierra Club. So for those not familiar, Sierra Club is the most enduring and influential grassroots environmental organization in the United States. Here in Kansas and Missouri, we have tens of thousands of members and supporters, and we work together to amplify our voices and defend our right for a healthy world. Our vision statement is that we envision healthy and thriving communities across the U.S. Uh, that are powered by affordable community-based clean energy, um, and our energy system contributes to racial, economic, and environmental justice where communities maintain access to secure, safe, and sustainable jobs, and that there is accountability to ensure that the energy industry is fair and just and aligned with the public interest. Our priorities are to advance climate solutions, get people outdoors, act for justice, and protect land, air, water, and wildlife. And we recognize that we can't do that together, so we work in collaboration with a lot of other groups. The Dirty Truth Report started coming out three years ago. Um, so this is the third iteration of the Dirty Truth Report. And it's a comprehensive assessment of whether utilities are committing to the actions needed to avert cataclysmic climate crisis. It's based on analysis of long-term energy plans known as integrated resource plans and major announcements from 50 utilities that generate electricity from coal and gas. So this is major investor-owned utilities, public utilities, um, co-ops, and large municipal utilities. In total, we examined 77 operating companies that own 50 parent companies and cover most of the United States. And what we found is that while utilities are talking a great talk about protecting the climate and becoming carbon neutral, the vast majority of utilities are not actually taking the necessary steps to avoid the worst impacts of the climate crisis. Today, Ty and I are going to be talking to you about three major utilities in Kansas and Missouri. We're going to be talking to you about Evergy, AECI, and Ameren. This is incredibly important because the majority of utilities are lagging behind and failing to seize a critical moment to advance reliable, affordable energy, and the fossil fuel industry and utility lobbyists have spent years fighting against proposals to address climate change. Now, I don't know about y'all, but last week here in St. Louis, it was 80 degrees. 80 degrees in November, we broke climate records. Now is not the time to be fighting against climate change policy. Now is not the time to be digging our heels in and investing in dirty and outdated technology. We need our utilities to be good community partners because real climate action is going to create millions of jobs, save thousands of lives, and create industries to revitalize the United States and save our future. We cannot wait. We need commitments and not empty promises. We need plans and timetables, not greenwashing and promising press releases. We need our utilities to commit to 100% clean and renewable energy, and we need them to do it now. Ty, I'll pass it over to you. 
All right. Thank you. So, you know, why should you care about this? Uh, it really, the utility cares a lot about what the customers think. For a monopoly organization, they are uh, put tons of advertising out there, partially because they care about what you think. And that's because they have to meet the requirements of their regulators and uh, the politicians in, the, in, the, in both the states here. So uh, they are very sensitive to uh, you know, making sure the customers believe that they have your best interest at heart. Um, the, just to repeat a couple things about Evergy, um, the 333 to $819 million can be saved by closing the coal plants and going to clean energy. The, uh, the, the, but Evergy has a lot of ex reasons why they say they won't do that. Thanks for listening to the All Souls Forum. The All Souls Forum is a production of the All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church of Kansas City, Missouri. And now stay tuned for Jazz in the Afternoon, followed by the Happy Hour at 3 p.m. and the Heartland Labor Forum at 6 p.m. All right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. <laughs>